0: Well, if you have your Bibles, in a few minutes, you're going to want to turn to the Gospel of John. This morning, we begin a new nine-week sermon series, and it's nine weeks because I looked at the calendar, and that's what I've got left. So if we have two or three blizzards or what else, it'll be less, but uh, we're going to spend the next nine weeks in the Gospel of John. Those of you who have been hanging around church for a number of years realize that we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there is no way we can actually determine precisely when those Gospels were written. But we have a good idea. And as evangelical Bible scholars, most of them agree that the Gospels were written. Matthew was written somewhere between 50 and 60 A.D. Mark was written somewhere between 50 and 60 A.D. Luke is a little more precise because Luke is a what? He's a doctor and he pays attention to details. That's what doctors do. And So when he writes, he gives us clues. He gives us little details as to what's happening when he's writing. So Matthew and Mark are all somewhere between 50 and 60 AD. Luke was written in 61 or maybe 62. Or there's another group out there that thinks it was written in 63. But either way, it's a very narrow window. We understand when Luke was written. John, on the other hand, John's a whole different thing. John was written somewhere in the 80s or 90s AD. So as we work our way through these, what could be all 21 chapters, although we're going to do it a different way than that, we sometimes will stop and pause and remind ourselves that what John is writing is 20 or 30, or sometimes even 40 years after the first three Gospels was written. Now, I can tell you we are not going to go through the Gospel of John chapter by chapter like we've done in books in the past. We're going to do things a little bit differently. On two... Boy, now that we're recording this, I better live up to this. On two of the next nine Sundays... We're going to look at two of what are called the I ams in the Gospel of John. There are seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus uses that phrase I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. On two of the next nine Sundays, we're going to look at two of those. Okay. Now, in addition to that, on another two of the next nine Sundays, we're going to look at two of what are called the seven signs. It's interesting. There are seven I Ams, and there are seven signs in the Gospel of John. Those of you who get into biblical numerology, which I do not, We'll really pay attention to the number of times seven shows up. Seven signs. We, we know that in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if we've counted this right, and if I've made a mistake, you can count them this afternoon and come back next week and tell me I'm wrong. We believe that there are 37 miracles in the Gospels. Thirty-seven. We don't know how many miracles Jesus performed, but there's 37 miracles recorded for us in the Gospels. There's 20 or 21 in Matthew. There's 20 or 21 in Mark. And it's not that we don't understand. It's that I can't remember which is which. Okay, so there's 20 or 21 in Matthew. There's 20 or 21 in Mark. And there's 20 or 21 in Luke. But in John, there's only seven. And they're never called miracles. They're called signs. So two of the next nine weeks, we're gonna look at two of those signs. The first one that uh, shows up in the Bible is Jesus turning the water into wine at the wedding in Cana. Then we have healing the royal official's son in John chapter four. Healing the lame man in John chapter five. The feeding of the 5,000, which is a typo, it's 20,000. Feeding the 20,000 in John chapter six. Walking on water, there's something if you haven't tried lately. Walking on water in John chapter six. Healing the man born blind in John chapter 9. And then the raising of Lazarus from the dead. John chapter 11. Two of the next nine weeks, we're going to look at two of those. And then on five of these next nine Sundays, we're going to look at what I believe are some of the key words found in the Gospel of John. The most common word is In the Gospel of John, which, you know, let's just stop and think about that for a minute. The most common word in the Gospel of John, which may or may not be the most important. It might be. Or maybe it just shows up a lot of times. But the most common word in the Gospel of John is the word believe. And so here's your assignment. Between now and whenever you want to finish this, read through the Gospel of John. And every time you come to the word believe... Underline it. Or draw a circle around it. Whatever you do. And you will be shocked at how many times the word believe or other forms of that word shows up in the Gospel of John. I can tell you this, that the word believe all by itself appears 84 times in 21 chapters. The word believes, if we add an S to it, appears 13 times. The word believer appears three times. The word believing appears three times. And the word believed appears 21 times. So the word believe in its various forms in the Gospel of John appears 124 times. I would have never guessed that if I hadn't looked that up. So we can make a point that the word believes, if it's not the most important word, It is certainly one of the more important words in the gospel. So the plan for the next nine weeks is we're going to do two signs, we're going to do two I am's, and we're going to do five important words, okay? Now before we get any farther, I want to ask you a question. I hate to throw my Bible on the ground. It's in the way. Let me ask you a question, and uh, I'm going to ask this question, and I want every person in the room to answer this question. And I'm not going on until every person in the room answers the question. I don't want anybody to answer it out loud. But I want everyone to answer this question to yourself. Are you a Christian? Nobody speaks out loud. Are you a Christian? Really? Or are you just someone who comes to church once in a while? Now we're going to refer back to that question at the end of the sermon. But before I go on, I want to give you time to answer that. Are you a Christian? Or are you just someone who goes to church once in a while? Our passage for today, if you take your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 1, and I'm going to read the first 13 verses. And when we get there, I want us to pay particular attention to verse 12. This is God's holy word. This is the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that had been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from John whose To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Now let's just picture this. John is writing this in 80 or 90 A.D. Evangelicals believe that Jesus was crucified either in 30 AD or 33 and I'm I've shared my opinion on that but either one we are at least 50 years since Jesus was crucified could be 60 if he wrote this in the 80s and 90s right are we tracking are there any math majors in here okay good This is 50 or 60 years after this has happened. And John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is thinking back. He's thinking back. I can just almost picture him. He's picturing this in his mind as he's writing down for us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, some of what Jesus is doing. And John makes this comment, yet to all who received him, it's like he's watching Jesus. And I don't know whether this is taking place at a miracle or when he's teaching a parable or he's with a group of people or he's talking to the Pharisees or whatever it is. And John is saying, yet... Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, if that doesn't make you preach and sing hallelujah, there's, you check your pulse. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God. Today, if you missed it, today's Super Bowl Sunday, the biggest sporting event in the history of the United States, it's the same thing every year. More than 114 million people have nothing better to do than to watch that television set for five hours. It's normally three hours and 15 minutes, but with the extra ads and everything, it'll be five hours, and I'll be asleep at halftime. But of those hundred and fourteen million people who are going to watch the game, yes, I'm one of them. I watched the game in January of 1967 when the Packers beat the Chiefs in what was now called Super Bowl number one. And as far as I know, I've watched every Super Bowl. There's something wrong with the guy. I mean, and then you turn into a pastor. That is the problem. Too much football. I, as far as I know, I've watched all fifty. Three, I think today is 54 games and I cried in 1970 and I cried again in 1974 and I cried again in 1975 and I cried again in 1977 when the Minnesota Vikings lost all four games and we've never been back Sharon bought me a t-shirt a year ago at a flea market that said Lord just once just once <laughs> it's purple and gold just once before I die I don't know. But apparently I enjoy the punishment because I'll be watching the game. So, And so will some of you. It, it's interesting. Most people who watch the game, you can ask them the question, who do you believe is going to win the game? And most people will have an answer. Who do you believe is going to win When church is over today, Sharon and I are going to go to our car, we're going to put the key in the ignition, and I am believing that that car will start. Now, I've had cars in previous years, and so have you. You weren't always sure. You thought, well, if I go to church, for sure it'll start. No, that isn't... (laughs) You keep a car long enough, it, it, it's not going to start. But today, I just, I, you know, Scott, I just honestly believe when I go out there, that car's going to start. I honestly believe that when we drive home, we can push the button on this little gizmo on my sun visor and the garage door's going to go up. I believe that's going to happen. I believe when I walk in the house, I can flip that switch. I believe the lights are going to go on. And I believe that when we hit, turn on the oven, it's going to bake our frozen pizza. I believe all that stuff. We use the word, you and I, we use the word believe a hundred different ways, but my question this morning is, are all those ways that we seem to use the word believe, is that the same way we use the word when we talk about, do you believe in Jesus? Is it the same thing or is it completely different? Picture this. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Is that the same believing that I believe my car is going to start? Now there are two words, two words in John 1.12 that we're going to spend the rest, whatever we've got. When is the game? 5.30? So we've got six hours yet. There are two words in John 1.12 that I want us to consider, and then we're going to take these two words and put them together and see if we can come up with a meaning for this verse. The first word is the word receive. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now one of the definitions of this Greek word that we end up translating into English as receive one of the definitions is to associate one's self as a companion that's what the word means the question has often been asked and I've asked this to myself over the years how do we how do we do this how do we actually how do we actually receive Jesus yet to all who received him how do we actually do that how do we get to the point where we associate ourselves as a companion of Jesus. Let's think of it this way. Before you got married, you were all alone. You did what you wanted, when you wanted, where you wanted. You remember those days? How many can remember those days? Okay, don't raise any more hands. 46 years ago, next Sunday, I received Sharon into my life. Forty-six years we've been married next Sunday. We've got seven days to go, babe. I believe we're going to make it to 46. I'm not leaving the house all week. We're going to lock the doors. up. I received Sharon into my life. She received me into her life. We pledged to be companions till death do us part. But all of a sudden, on that day 46 years ago, when I received Sharon into my life, everything I had changed. Everything. Everything I had now becomes hers, and everything she had now becomes mine. We are lifetime companions with each other. Everything I do impacts her, and everything she does impacts me. Because the word means a companion with oneself. So I learned years ago, you know, if I decide I want to go golfing or pheasant hunting on Saturday afternoon, if I want to make that decision, well, that's going to impact Sharon because we're together in this. Or if she wants to go, and I've told her many times she's welcome to go, if she wants to go for a two or three or four or five-day scrapbooking retreat, bless her heart, she can go. But she realizes, well, if she's going to be gone three or four days, that Are you following with me? That's going to impact me. When I go to the Philippines for almost three weeks, I understand that impacts her because we are companions for life. When you receive a spouse into your life, when you receive a companion, it changes everything. And then we had kids. Everything changes again. first morning our daughter Melissa went to school. Those of you who have kids can relate to this. The first morning she went to school, I took time off from work. What? What are you taking time off your work? Just because your daughter's got her first day at school, you're taking time? Yes. I took time off from work and I went home and and, uh, Sharon and I, don't make me cry, I went time, took time off from work so that Sharon and I could be there that morning and walk our little girl to the corner when that big orange school bus picked up to pick up in our minds the most important and precious little girl on the planet. And take her to school because Melissa was a part of us. And because we had received her into our family and into our life, everything she does now impacts us as well. Are you tracking? Everything I do impacts Melissa and Sharon. Everything Sharon does impacts Steve and Melissa. Everything Melissa does impacts her mom and dad. And then Jeremy came along. It all happened again because... Jeremy was also a part of our life. We we received him into our family the same way we would receive anybody else. We're all together in this, and now all of a sudden I need to stop and think, okay, now if I go pheasant hunting, it's more than impacting Sharon. Now it impacts the kids as well. And if, Well, you know how it is. When you receive kids into your home, it changes everything. The same same is true when we receive Jesus into our hearts it changes everything. It changes everything from the moment you put your faith in Christ, your lives will never be the same. Having Jesus living within us, inviting him to move in with us and become our companion for life, it impacts the things we do and it impacts the things we don't do. When we receive Jesus into our life, our lives begin to change from the inside out. Inviting and receiving Jesus to be a companion and to walk with you through life and asking Him to take control, asking Him to clean up all that sin and all that garbage that's in our life and to get rid of it and to help us make decisions that will encourage us to live our lives in ways that honor and glorify our Heavenly Father. That's what it means when we become a companion With Jesus, when we receive him, when we invite him to come and live in our life, when we receive him into our life, it changes everything. And if it doesn't change everything, chances are you've never really received him. Satan has you blinded. He wants you to think you're a Christian when the truth is you're not a Christian. If we somehow think that we've received Jesus into our life and yet nothing changes, wow. my first response would be, you have never really received Christ. You just think you have. Have you truly and sincerely invited Jesus to come and live in your life and to walk with you through the ups and downs of life? Because if you have... If you have, your life will change. 1 John 4.4 says this, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. If you think you've invited Jesus to come and live in your life, because he is greater than the one who's in the world, if nothing's happening, you better check your salvation. Yet to all who did receive him, to all of those who wanted to be companions with Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. Second word, believe. Remember, in one time or another within the Gospel of John, the word appears 124 times. Now let's think about this word believe, and particularly what the word means in John 1.12. The Greek word here means to place confidence in, yet to all who have received Jesus as a companion and place their confidence in him. He gave the right to become children of God. I, as with many of you, have placed our confidence in Jesus. Fully believe it. Absolutely convinced that Jesus is who he says he is. I believe that he is the living son of God. I believe that he is the Messiah that the world was waiting for. I believe that he is the savior of the world. I believe that when he went to the cross and shed his blood, that he paid the full price. He didn't pay just part of the price. He paid the full price. That... Song we sang, Jesus Paid It All, is from 1 John 2.2. 2. Uh, depending on the Bible, you prefer your translation. It says in my Bible, He is the atoning sacrifice. Now, I'm a fan of the ESV, except for 1 John 2.2. 2 which is why I'm preaching out of NIV this morning. I can't stand 1 John 2-2 in the ESV because it, it, choos, it uses something. It uses a word that I never use outside this building. And I'd, I'd like to sit down sometime and talk to the translator and the editor of the ESV and ask, why do you put words in there that we never use? Propitiation. If we had a little quiz after church, and we asked you to identify some of these words. Most of us wouldn't even know what propitiation means, and I'm, I'd have to stop and think. He is the atoning sacrifice. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. Now let's, as we close, let's put these two things together. Receiving and believing. Receiving and believing. When we, invite, when we invite Jesus to come and live in our life, when we invite him to walk with us, when we invite him to be our companion and to help us clean up our habits and to live in such a way that brings honor and glory to God instead of honor and glory to ourselves, and when we put our faith in him alone, fully trusting that he is who he said he is, he's the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. When we get to that point where we invite and we believe it, Jesus enters our life in the blink of an eye, and everything changes. Now let's close by let me ask you this question. Are you a Christian? Have you you ever had that conversation just between you and Jesus where you invited him to come and live in your life and you wanted him to be your companion 24-7 Have you ever received him? And the second thing is, do you believe in him? Really? You believe he is who he said he is? That he is the savior? That he is the Son of God. That he is the Messiah that the world was waiting for? If you answer, if your answer to that question is are you a Christian? If your answer, let me explain this, if your answer is yes, then you're telling me that the person who knows you best could explain to me the changes you've made in your life. That's how it works. Okay. If your answer to the question, are you a Christian, based on is Jesus walking with you as a companion in life, do you have your faith and believing He is who He said He is. If your answer to that is yes, then you're telling me that the person in all the world, the one person who knows you better than anyone else, could come up here, or after church, or could talk to me on the phone, and explain to me how your life continues to change for the better. If your answer is yes, there's no other option. Because either either 1 John 4.4 4 is true, Greater is he that is in you than greater in the world. Either that verse is true, or I'm going to make a motion that this afternoon we go home and with the scissors we cut out 1 John 4.4 and throw it away. Those are the only two options. It's either true, or this book has lies. If you think you're a Christian, and yet the person who knows you the best would have a difficult time explaining to me how your life has changed, Maybe Satan has you confused. Maybe he wants you to think you're a Christian when you're not. After all these years in ministry, I'm still processing a whole boatload of stuff. But one thing I am absolutely convinced of, the only tangible evidence of whether or not a person is saved, is a changed life. If there's no change, you need to check your heart. Now, I don't want you to leave here confused. If you wonder, and I understand it, I mean, I've been around a long time, If you're wondering whether or not you are a Christian, maybe you're more confused than I am over this stuff. I would love to sit down and talk to you. And we could just talk about Jesus and who He is. So you can talk to me, you can send me an email, a text, smoke signals, whatever you want. Telephone, my number's in the bulletin. I promise you we'll find a time. Or if you don't want to talk to me, talk to the ushers. Talk to one of them. Talk to the greeters. Talk to the deacons. Talk to somebody. Just don't don't go through life wondering. Our word for today is what? Hey, hallelujah. Our word for next week is not hallelujah. Next Sunday, we're going to switch gears. We're not going to do another word right away. We're going to go back. We're going to look at one of the seven signs, and we're going to talk about John chapter 2, where Jesus turned the water into wine. So if you have nothing better to do this week, and I know you don't, Take five minutes and read John chapter 2. We're going to pray, and the ushers are going to come from, come up and we'll take this morning's offering. Lord Jesus, thank you for allowing us the privilege to gather again with brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, I just pray for soft hearts. I just pray, Lord, that the seeds of the gospel would fall and begin to sprout and grow in people's lives who need Jesus. I pray that as we leave here, Lord, that you would allow us to live our lives in ways that are absolutely, completely different than the way the rest of the world lives their life. Help that world out there that needs Jesus to see that there's something different in us. Lord, may we be the aroma of Christ. May we live lives that are different, visibly different. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus and what he did for us when he went to the cross, how he shed his perfect blood as the full and final complete price for all of our sin. He died, he was buried, and he rose again, and we look forward to the day when he's coming back. So, Lord, care for us until we can be together again next week. In Jesus' name we pray. And then, Lord, we, we thank you for this offering we're about to take. We thank you for each gift and for each giver. We ask that you'd continue to help us be good stewards of what you entrust into our care. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.